This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hello there and welcome to the Bite Size Business Breakfast podcast. The very best bits of today's show from a Wednesday, the 31st of January. Busy one today. Breaking news overnight. We had a new report from the IMF. We had Saudi Arabia with a dramatic U-turn on plans to expand its oil production. And during the show, breaking earnings from TCOM, which operates business parks like Internet City, Media City and Dubai Industrial City. So details on that to come. What else have we got? Some great interviews today. Zara Clark was talking jobs. She's the head of the region for Tiger Recruitment. Also talking gold this morning, Andrew Naylor. Regional head of the World Gold Council. Their latest report is out. Gold prices may be near a record, but gold demand on the back of that is quite weak, especially in India, but also here in the Dubai Gold Souk. And finally, Rasel Kamer. We love the story this week that Rasel Kamer is building its own swanky new high rise financial centre. But what do people on the ground in Rassel Kamer think? The business community, who's going to use these swanky new offices? Paula Jane Cox is a business owner in Rassel Kamer and she is part of a business group in Rassel Kamer. She joins us live from the Northern Emirates. All that to come, but let's kick off with those big business and economic stories. We here on the Business Breakfast are just wading through a sea of numbers and predictions, having a look at the earnings that are coming out locally and internationally, as well as the forward-looking guidance from a number of these companies, how stock markets are reacting, uh, and what the IMF thinks is going to happen next, because a lot of headlines this morning dominated by a new report that has come out from the International Monetary Fund. They feel better about the world than they did back in October, raising their forecast for global economic growth this year to 3.1% and then higher next year, um, using words like resilience and soft landing um, and talking even about disinflation. Um, So it's positive apart from one country in this region. Uh, Let's hear from the chief economist of the IMF. Important divergences remain. We expect slower growth in the United States, where tight monetary policy is still working through the economy. Many other economies continue to show great resilience, with growth accelerating in Brazil, India, and Southeast Asia's major economies. There you go. But they weren't happy about two countries in particular, Richard Dean. They weren't happy about, well, particularly one of Tom's favourites, which is Argentina. See. You love the personality of the new guy in charge of Argentina, but he's got a big job on his hands because the IMF has cut their forecast for Argentina for this year by 5.6 percentage points. He likes cutting things. (laughs) He does take a chainsaw literally to many things. So Saudi Arabia is not as bad as Argentina. And when that is how you're framing the economy, you know times are tough. They have cut their forecast for this year for Saudi Arabia by 1.3 percentage points. And they say in the commentary, they're quite explicit about it. It's only a small report, but they do mention Saudi Arabia by name. Saudi Arabia is cutting back oil production to try and prop up prices as part of the OPEC plus mandate. We know that. And it is impacting real GDP growth. Saudi economy contracted last year by 1%, says the IMF. 
It's going to expand this year by 2.7%, but given all the boom that's happening in the non-oil economy, that's not great. Yeah, but I'm also going to say in defence of Saudi Arabia, uh, previously, because these are obviously um, compound numbers, if you like, they, they grow on the back of previous year's growth. Um, we did see quite a bit of growth from Saudi during COVID. Uh, the IMF says itself um, that it's reflecting a temporarily lower oil production uh, through to 2024. And the Saudi government itself has been forecasting a fiscal deficit over the next couple of years. Why? Because they're spending an awful lot of money. Yeah, I read one analysis. Was it the IMF or someone else? What's the break-even price for the Saudi budget this year? $108 a barrel. I mean, we're at 80 plus, and that's good. But if Saudi needs 108 to break even, you know, that's an issue. Yes, of course, a lot of that is capital expenditure. Fine, it will, there will be a long-term return on that investment. It's not being frittered away. But still, it's a big number. Well, they're going with build it and they will come. This is Ed Bell speaking about what the IMF had to say about Saudi as well as the wider Middle East. For the wider Middle East and Central Asia region, which is the fun sort of reporting uh, geography for this area, they expect to see real GDP growth of 2.9% in 24, up from 2% last year. I think a big part of the reason behind that is because of returning oil production compared with some of the cuts that we saw last year, where the IMF has now finally revised their their estimate for Saudi GDP to a contraction of 1% last year as oil production cuts did weigh on the economic activity in the kingdom. Staying with Saudi, one of the other big headlines this morning is that Aramco uh, has halted its plans uh, to boost oil production capacity to 30 million barrels a day. It's going to keep oil production capacity where it is at the moment at around 12. It's got people asking, why are you doing that? What does it tell us about how you're feeling? Uh, Does it mean that Saudi is feeling a little bit more bearish about future oil demand? This is Ed Bell. Oil markets are still trying to navigate the announcement we had from Saudi Aramco yesterday that they will not be increasing their production capacity to 13 million barrels a day from a current level of 12 million barrels a day. Several years ago, Saudi Aramco had received an instruction from the government in Saudi Arabia to increase its total output capacity to 13 million barrels a day. And this reassessment could reflect a few things, but it could be a reassessment of long-term demand expectations or perhaps capital control measures. We'll get a full breakdown of Saudi Remco's CapEx plans in March when the company provides a full year results. Yeah, and Richard mentioned non-oil production and non-oil growth there. Uh, we've got maybe a couple of indicators out locally as to how the private sector is going, or at least how we think it's going to be going in the future. 48 hours ago, Rex said that it was going to be building a big swanky downtown office district. Uh, and to tell us... What they actually need down there is a business owner who has her heels on the ground. Paula Jane Cox uh, not just has business in Razzle Kaimat, she is also the coordinator for the Razzle Kaimat Business Group. We asked her, uh, what do you guys in REC actually want and need at the moment when it comes to business space and facilities? We're quite stoic as a business community here and we've run very much organically. It's so exciting. I think because we live in Rack, we've seen this development and the growth happen against the strategic plan, which is great. But we've been involved in this growth for a while when you look at the surrounding areas. Um, so office space is going to be great because it's going to give us much more substantial employment offerings. And with every new business or growth, 
comes a million other opportunities. So I think RAC will keep its identity in terms of the way we uh, kind of roll over here in the Northern Emirates. But very excited we all are. A lot of personality this morning from Paula Cox in Iraq. We've also, speaking of officers, um, been taking the temperature of Dubai through the TCOM earnings this morning. Full year earnings up 49%, $1.1 billion when it comes, dirhams rather, uh, when it comes to net profit. That is a record. Samir Lakani is Managing Director at Global Capital Partners. We've been talking to him about how it's 89% occupancy in TCOM at the moment. In the US, it's a completely different story. Concerns about refinancing office buildings, uh, concerns about people not using them, office space going just over 50% in January for occupancy in the US. Why is it such a different story in Dubai? Those of us who've been around here for a while, uh, you know that uh, we've not had much commercial office built up since 2008. And uh, the opposite has been happening in the U.S. Uh, that combined with the pandemic uh, and this uh, this whole debate about hybrid working spaces has meant that you've got uh, uh, reduced occupancy levels in the U.S., whereas uh, you can see what, what occupancy levels uh, have been achieved by TCOM uh, over here. Uh, an important metric to look at is the funds from operations FFO, which TCOM uh, reported as a 21% increase. In the U.S., you have seen FFOs coming down by about between 11 and 15%. Let's turn to the comments from Abdullah Belhul, the CEO of TCOM, who talks about their access to strategically located land banks. What could we see from TCOM? Does that hint at more buildings to come? 100%. They've mentioned it, they've mentioned it in their balance sheet that they are going to look for more developments. They've interestingly also mentioned that they are going to look for acquisitions as well. So they are, they are, they are, they are, you know, they are, they're looking for an aggressive expansion uh, whilst maintaining a very favorable dividend payout ratio. Remember, TCOM's share price has been up 18%. That is excluding the dividends that, uh, that they have paid out uh, since their IPO, which is also uh, about 10%. What kind of acquisition from TCOM would make sense for you, Samar? I realise we're in speculation territory here, but for a company that you know is effectively a giant industrial, commercial and office landlord, what could that look like? You've had a number of developments in the UAE and in Dubai that uh, you know fall below the grade A category space. Uh, some some percentage of those developments need to be refurbished. Some percentage of those developments are uh, looking for uh, cash infusions, capital infusions. So they are looking they are looking to cater to all spectrums, right? They are looking at at within their office spec uh, within their office portfolio. They are looking at not only category A, they're looking at category B, they're looking at category C. And uh, I think, uh, again, purely speculatively, that uh, the growth, uh, whilst everybody talks about the Category A, there is, uh, there is an enormous amount of growth potential in the Category B office space, which I think is uh, something that TCOM is going to be looking at uh, uh, very opportunistically. What about growth in the industrial space, where the occupancy here has grown to 94%, up from 81% the year before? That's that's the land lease occupancy, all right, uh, and uh, 
when you look at when you look at the industrial space, it's 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 even more bullish. I mean, we talk about warehouses, uh, we talk about uh, all kinds of industrial activity that is now being embarked on in the UAE. They've got the strategic park, uh, they've got the strategic land bank, uh, industrial city being uh, being being the prime uh, example over here. Uh, if anything, that's uh, that's 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 going to ramp up uh, even further. But what we're looking at, uh, you know, when we came out of the pandemic, we had uh, we were coming off a low base of rents. We were coming out of favorable terms that were given to tenants, uh, and uh, collections were also a challenge. All of that has improved, and as, as their balance sheet and their PNL indicates, it's against a backdrop of lower costs, primarily finance costs, but also lower admin costs. So they've improved efficiency which is the reason why FFO has gone up by 21%. Samela Khani is the boss of Global Capital Partners speaking to us this morning. Thank you so much for your time about those new numbers coming out from TCOM, uh, where we've seen a 49% rise in net profit to a new record. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. So Tiger Recruitment, uh, a firm that specialises in matching outstanding staff with employers of choice across multiple in industries and private individuals in the Middle East. They've just released their Salary and Benefits Review 2024. It's now available to pre-order on their website, Uh, but we've got a little bit of a sneak peek. Uh, And we've also been uh, blessed to be joined this morning by the director and head of Tiger, Mina, as well. Uh, Zara Clark has joined us live in studio. Morning to you. Morning. Thank you for having me. Some really interesting numbers coming off the back of this one. Uh, one of the top lines, more than 30% of UA workers plan on switching roles in 2024. Before we dive into the numbers proper, though, what's the sort of big takeaway from you on this one? We've been talking about a sort of bit of a stagnation on job markets globally, and yet there seems to be movement and optimism here. Is that reflected? Yeah, um, I'd say the last six months have been really busy for us. We've seen a lot of movement in the market. Um, There's a lot of companies setting up here right now and also setting up in Saudi. Just to give you an example, one of my clients have just set up an office here six months ago. They're already opening an office in Saudi due to demand. So they're hiring headcount. They've hired about 50 people here and they're looking to do the same in Saudi. So we're seeing there's a demand at the moment to hire. You've been surveying professionals across the Gulf region, is that right? We have, yes. Um, Let's get into some of those numbers. So a third, 33% of workers planning on switching roles in 2024. Is that going to a competitor for a similar job or is that sort of turning a career around fundamentally? I think it depends on the individuals. um, And what we have seen in the market is that if they're not getting the pay increase internally from their current employer, people are looking to leave to get to get a higher salary. Obviously, cost of living has increased um, and this has impacted people's decisions. Um, so there is that sort of desire to, to keep your options open almost in terms of the jobs you have, but also goes on to say that over 50% of those surveyed anticipate spending a maximum of two years in their current roles. I mean, is that is that sort of average for the region or not? Um, I would say so. I think some these days it's very rare to see people in a role for five years. Um, I think people like to have a change. And again, it's driven a lot of the time by hybrid working opportunities, salary, bonuses, benefits. Um, Just to give you an idea as well, a new benefit that's come to light, it's very popular, um, is in August, one of my clients will say to uh, the 
their team that they can either work two weeks from anywhere and then take two weeks leave. I've got another client that's just implemented from the end of May till September, they can work remotely anywhere they like. So it's all of these types of benefits that are driving people. It's if they're not getting the pay rise, it's having better quality of life and being able to do different things. Um, it's really having an impact on the market. But hybrid working is still very much a point where people want to have hybrid working and not be in the office five days a week. So from an employer's point of view, benefits matter more than ever before? Yes, absolutely. Um, and to retain staff as well. Just, an, just another example, I've had a new client come over from London and he has offered four days per week in the office with Friday off. And the amount of candidates that we've had apply for this position has been huge. So benefits matter at the moment. They, they, they matter, well, they matter obviously for prospective employees who are looking for new roles. But I mean, I mean, just how robust do employers have to get when it comes to benefits? I mean, are employees or prospective employees calling the shots here now? Um, I would say employees are calling the shots um, because the market is, there's opportunity there to move. And also if they can't retain their staff with giving them the benefits or the salary package that they want, you're, you're going to go somewhere else and find a better opportunity. Work-life balance is important to people. And I think it's been more important to people since COVID. And uh, when you, you mentioned there, I mean, you, you, you've made the point of like 34%, again, over a third of uh, professionals want more personalised benefits. I mean, is there a package of per se personalised benefits or I mean, are employers customising sort of bespoke benefits for individuals? Yes, they are. Ugh. Let me give you an example. This is um, a recent placement of ours. Um, senior consultant, um, the company's currently at 5 billion. If they get to 10 billion within five years, this candidate will receive a £100,000 bonus. That's that. been factored into yeah. the benefits yeah. and personalised for. There's an incentive, that's for sure. Yeah, and it's only for him. So, you know, it's just all these different things to entice these candidates. Why do they want to move? Are they going to impact your company? How can you retain them? It's it's critical. On the subject of retention, and one of the stories we 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 led with a little earlier on this morning was, of course, uh, yet more job losses across industries as well. But the common theme on that one is efficiency, drive towards technology, and dare we say it, AI as well. I mean, AI ain't going anywhere. No. It's here to stay. What impact's that having on the local job market here? So we have seen um, redundancies in different sectors at the moment, but a lot of it is restructuring um, that is going on. But we are also seeing an influx, as I mentioned, of new companies coming here and setting up. So as much as the people are losing jobs, we're also seeing an increase in jobs. So there is a balance in the market. I mean, earlier of um, 2023, it was slightly slower. But since we've come out the other side, it's like I said, the last six months have been super, super busy. So um, as much as people are losing jobs, we're helping them find new jobs with better benefits. That's really interesting because, you know, two of the sort of headlines from your from your latest survey is, you know, a time of change. And we're seeing those fluctuations and change. You, you, you've noticed the talent on the move trend as well. But is that is that and what was it? Twenty six percent quarter of respondents considering career change from fear 
of AI replacing their jobs. So are people almost being proactive at the moment of the potential of AI when it comes to their job security? Yeah, I, I do believe that if, if you feel that your job isn't secure, that is going to push you to move. That's a natural um, decision mm. to make. And candidates are doing that if they feel that their job isn't secure. They're just reaching out to us and saying, what's going on the market? What do you have? And then if we're able to offer them something on par or better, then they're keen to move. So almost a future proofing, if you like, of, of, of job security to a certain degree. Absolutely. Um, let's get into mental health and well-being again. Another of those topics that has been discussed a lot more, especially post-COVID as well. Um, we've heard we've heard good words and news coming out of the industry. Are we seeing that as well when it comes to jobs? Yes, um, I definitely believe um, mental health and well-being is being considered more here. Um, like I said, the benefits of allowing people. I mean, I remember when I first moved to Dubai going home for the summer just wasn't an option it just wasn't there so these types of benefits really help and also there's a lot of expats in this community and you spend a lot of time away from elderly family etc it gives you the opportunity to go back if you've got children it helps with child care um, so all of these factors are quite important and just you know quality of life Finally, Zara, we've got, what, 20 seconds. Uh, do download the report if you want to see a very extensive breakdown of salary expectations. But in a word of two, for salary expectations for 2024? Um, I think you should be looking for internally up to 15% increase max, or if you're moving externally, 20%. Love the report. Lots to get into there. It is the latest salary review from Tiger Recruitment, their head of the MENA region. It's Sarah Clark. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. There we are indeed. Talking gold. Which heralds the arrival into the studio of the Head of Public Policy globally for the World Gold Council, also Head of the Middle East, Andrew Naylor. Morning, Andrew. Good morning. So your latest report is out and gold demand is falling down 5% from what was a very strong 2022. But the story is more nuanced than that. What's going on with gold? Well, it's very nuanced indeed. And you mentioned that gold is almost but not quite a currency. And actually, that's really at the heart of why gold so different because you've got the commodity side of the market as well. You've got gold's use in technology, for example, as jewellery. So that means that gold behaves very, very differently to other asset classes and makes it so unique. And that uniqueness has been reflected in its performance because demand is down by 5% over over last year, but actually we've had record high uh, prices. And that's because of the different sectors of demand. You've also got OTC demand, which is how banks trade gold between themselves, that has an impact. And that's why gold actually performed quite well in price terms. It was up 15%, for example, over the course of of last year. But those high prices do have an impact, particularly on retail demand, because it just makes it more expensive. That means that jewellery demand, for example, it's softened. So in the Middle East, demand is down for jewellery. India, which is one of the largest jewellery markets in the world, we've seen demand go down there again because of high high gold prices. Just put, put the numbers on those for me, the decline in demand for jewellery in the Middle East and, and India. I did read the report, but in your words? It's about, well, in the Middle East, it's down like 6%. In India, 
about 9%, but it's a bit more nuanced because if you look at different markets, different markets have performed quite differently. So in the mid, in, in, uh, here in the UAE, which is typically very large uh, regional uh, go, uh, gold jewellery market, jewellery demand is down, but investment demand is actually up. So de- investment demand here uh, is up by about 34%. And that's people buying bars and coins. And that's because people are motivate, have different motivations, if you like, for jewellery and, and bars and coins, which are, are an investment vehicle. So if we were to go down to the gold suit today, would we have throngs of tourists stocking up on bangles or would it be tumbleweed around the streets of the gold suit because gold is above $2,000 and it's just too expensive? Well, you would still you would you would still see some some buying, but it is you know at the end of the day it, it is it is expensive, and that does have an impact on on jewelry demand. But you also get some investment motivations for jewelry, particularly the higher carriages, like twenty four carat uh, jewelry is often bought not just because of its decorative appeal, but because it can be seen as a bit of an investment, store of value, things like that. And when there's an investment motivation, you're not just thinking about the current price; you're thinking about where you think the price is going to go. And that's why when the price is high, investment demand doesn't always decline, whereas jewellery demand is usually more, more impacted. Having said that, though, last year, jewellery demand it held up. Uh, that was primarily because of China, which is the world's largest uh, jewellery market. It was actually investment demand that went down, and that was mainly because of weakness in bar and coin uh, demand in Western markets, but also ETFs which is what large institutions allocate to. We saw outflows uh, from ETFs. That wasn't really because of the price. It was more because of the, uh, the interest rate environment. Uh, interest rates are always a headwind for, for gold. They just make other assets more attractive. So that's, that's had an impact. But going forward, we actually think it's that institutional investment demand that will start to recover and pick up. Because jewellery was flying off the shelves, wasn't it, in Shanghai, Beijing and other cities? Because they're really only just coming out of lockdown in China. We forget that because we came out of lockdown in, what, May 2020. Different in China. That's right. COVID still has an impact. I mean, I, I, you know, almost forgotten about COVID, but it still actually has an impact, particularly on the gold market, because it's a physical asset. People buy it uh, in person. Uh, You can buy it online, but there's a lot of preferences for, you know, for going into shops and buying it and lockdowns around the world that had a huge impact uh, on the gold market, in particular jewellery demand. And you look at India and China, both very large jewellery markets. India came out of its lockdowns earlier than China, and that meant that India had a really, really good 2022. So when we look at 2023, we're comparing it to 2022, and that, that's why uh, India doesn't look as, as rosy as perhaps China does, because China came out of lockdown later. Um, and so the, the, we don't have the same kind of base effect, if you like, when it comes to the research results. Right. Forget bangles and bracelets. Let's look at the economics of it. Inflation tends to be good for gold. Gold's a hedge against inflation. Higher interest rates tend to be bad for gold because the opportunity cost of holding gold is higher. We've had both over the past two years. Federal Reserve meets tonight. The Grand Wizards of the Fed currently locked in a room. We'll hear from them about 10 o'clock UAE time. What are they going to do and what will that mean for gold? Well, we think we, we certainly think that this year interest rates are going to start to come down. That, you know, as you as you alluded to, that's that's usually a positive for gold because it reduces the opportunity cost uh, of holding it. You've always got this antagonism between interest rates and inflation when it comes to gold because, as you said, gold is considered an effective hedge against inflation. 
but other assets are more attractive when interest rates are high, um, which are often high to combat inflation. So it, it's this sort of this antagonism between the two that can have a real impact on certainly on investment demand uh, for gold. But we certainly think this year there's a couple of things to look out for. Interest rates likely to start uh, coming down. That will be good for gold. US dollar fairly muted. That's neutral sometimes positive for gold, but then also you've got the geopolitics, US elections uh, coming up later this year. I think that's really going to have quite a large impact uh, on the market, particularly when you look at institutional demand in, in the US and, and Europe. Finally, Andrew, can't let you go 30 seconds. What if we all start wearing jewellery and start wearing wearable technology instead? Instead of a gold Rolex, we've got a Samsung or an Apple Watch. Instead of gold rings, we've got what you're wearing now, which is, I saw it on your hand when you walked in, wearable technology, something like an aura ring. Is that not heresy in the corridors of the World Gold Council? Well, I've got a gold wedding ring and an aura ring, so, <laughs> so they're not necessarily substitutes. But, but jokes aside, um, gold is used in technology. Not in, you know, technology demand isn't the same size as jewellery demand. But if you look at emerging technologies, if you look at the technologies that are, that are critical for the energy transition, fuel cells, uh, carbon capture and storage, high-end electronics, gold is used as an input. Andrew, great talk to you. Appreciate your time this morning. Andrew Naylor, Head of the Middle East, globally Head of Public Policy for the World Gold Council. That report, just to recap the headline, finding gold demand globally down by 5% last year. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Well, one place where there is something doing is Razzle Khaimah. It is to get a fancy new downtown financial centre, commercial and residential district, 3 million square feet of rentable office space, a couple of hotels and more than 4,000 apartments. Does it need it? We are joined by Paula Cox. She's co-organiser of the Razzlekeimer Business Group and a REC business owner. Uh, Paula, it's lovely to speak to you. Good morning. Good morning, Brandy. How are you? Welcome to REC. I know. Nice to talk to you. (laughs) Yes. Right. On the ground, you're one of the forces behind the Razzlekeimer Business Group, uh, 1,400-odd members. What does REC actually need on the the business space and facilities front? I think um, at the moment we're quite stoic as a business community here and we've run very much organically. Um, It's so exciting. I think because we live in RAC, we've seen this development and the growth happen um, against the strategic plan, which is great. So we are very excited about all these new um, launches, but we've been involved in this growth for a while when you look at the surrounding areas. Um, So office space is going to be great because it's going to give us Um, much more substantial employment offerings. And with every new business or growth comes a million other opportunities. So I think it's going to change uh, in the coming years. But I think RAC will keep its identity in terms of the way we uh, kind of roll over here in the Northern Emirates. But very excited we all are. Okay, Are you tight for office space at the moment? Yes. Interestingly, I think RAC, like a lot of the older style Emirates, has the kind of late 70s, um, low story buildings. And funnily enough, we had a brand new, quite large business join the group a few months ago. And one of his 
I don't know, comments rather than complaints, was the old office building they were all in. So I think, yes, it is to find residential spaces available, but it's not easy. Um, And they tend to be randomly uh, spread around um, open areas. So I think having a condensed, uh, newer, modern financial hub and centres are going to be brilliant, very good. One of the reasons, though, that people often look to the Northern Emirates um, outside Abu Dhabi or outside Dubai is because it can be a lot cheaper. Is there concern about how much it might cost for fancy new towers? Yeah, I think it's interesting. And we all know um, as business owners, and you cover it often on your show, growth is going to create more demand, more demand creates more money. There, there's an obvious um, change there. And I think I, I reached out on Rack Business Group yesterday and said, oh, we're going on Dubai. I, tell me, why are you here? Because you think you know, but sometimes you need to ask. Um, and as business owners, predominantly right now, it has been the the kind of social aspect, the, the beauty of Rack. And the price is the biggest driver. So I don't think we're still so economically um, comfortable here in terms of setting up a business, whether it's your license or whether it's property, whether it's supplies and other business um, uh, services. We've got such a long way to go. Um, I think it's going to take quite a long time for that to change. And I hope and what we all like is the access to information with this growth. Our biggest concern as a group of business owners was the infrastructure. Um, Because those of you that come to RAC for the weekend will know, it's not exactly um, the E11 running through the middle of RAC. But we are constantly surprised at the progress and the plans and the openness to everybody's information. For example, the often the speakers that we get on rack business group it's the most easy to access um place i've ever worked if we want a shake the shake will come if you want the head of the chamber of commerce they'll come and we had alison grinnell uh, a few months back who's the um quite a driving force in these changes and she actually sat with our business members and explain what the blueprint for the infrastructure was and I think that access to that information won't change I do believe financially you know no growth can happen without uh, without change but I think there's something quite stoic as I said about RAC and our business we're very we're a great community um, we're very proud we think we think we own RAC um, but it is from a heart rather than a head But yeah, so it's going to come, but I don't think anybody's dramatically concerned right now. It's all beneficial. So good to speak to you this morning. You can hear the enthusiasm. You can see why she is one of the driving forces of the Rezelkeimer Business Group. Paula Cox speaking to us this morning. Thank you so much about that plan for a big business district, Rec Central, uh, to be built in Rezelkeimer with three million square foot of rentable office space. Uh, and as Paula said there, a, a centrality, if you like, um, of the infrastructure for doing business in the Northern Emirate. More 
More on that to come in the show. This morning we've been looking at it from a property point of view. Paul has just given us a social as well as a business point of view there. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.